0: So a long time ago, uh, I was in a general psychology class in college at Clearwater Christian College. I, I uh, may or may not have paid too much attention to all that was being said in that class. It was an 8 a.m. class, um, and uh, it met on, I think, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And so um, on one Friday uh, of—I I don't remember what year this was. It might have been my sophomore year there when I took— um, general psychology. But <clears throat> on this Friday, I think I took a, a long weekend and went away with friends or visit family or something. So I didn't go to class on Friday. And, um, and so that weekend was great. It was fun. I spent, I don't really remember it, but I'm sure I spent it doing some fun things and not paying attention to psychology class. And so I showed up, you know, come in late Sunday night and uh, wait, slept pretty good. Wake up, go to class at 8 a.m., and start looking around at everyone in the class and they all looked a little stressed and they looked at like they're like reviewing notes and then our teacher <laughs> continues on to start passing out papers and it's like, what is on this paper that she's passing out? And it was an exam and I was like, oh no, uh, I'm supposed to take a general psychology exam today that I have not paid attention to. Uh, I have not thought about it over the whole weekend. Uh, if there was a review on Friday, I didn't hear it. If there was a reminder, hey, there is an exam on Monday, didn't cross my desk or path or hear, ears or anything. Uh, <laughs> when I showed up to take that test, I, I mean, I, I've, never fail, I've never failed a class, not a class, uh, a, a test so bad in my life. I think I got like a 20. Uh, <laughs> it shows how much I was really paying attention. You know, it's all about, you know, it's tests, right? It's all about cramming for the actual test not actually knowing things, uh, and so I, uh, t- I got a 20, and the, the teacher was extremely merciful and let me take it again. I think she probably saw, like, I'm not joking. I had no idea there was a test today, so she was unbelievably gracious to let me take it again, and so that actual 20 is not on my record anywhere that I know of, at least, um, you know, we, as everyone knows now, so okay, there wasn't an iPhone back then either, you know, there wasn't like this fancy calendaring, like, like some of you have amazing planners, I've seen them already, uh, my wife being one of those, uh, you know, we have, iPhone was like barely a thing at that point, I had a Nokia and it had an antenna <laughs> that you just <had> pulled out, <laughs> um, it didn't have a reminders app that is going to send me like, hey, you have a meeting in 15 minutes. It's one of the greatest inventions, I don't know about you, is getting that little notific- and a watch that just notifies you, it buzzes on your wrist, and you look down and you're like, oh, got a meeting in 10 minutes, sweet, all right, I probably, you know, should put dress clothes on before you get in front of the camera on Zoom, right? Uh, and so, you know, you, we have these things built into our systems and our lives now to remind us of things. Well, that day, I had no reminder, all of a sudden, I just looked in that class, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm in trouble, um, I have a personal assistant as well. That's a great reminder. It's called my, my wife. She reminds me often of things. Uh, I, have, I got this infection in my finger this past week. And so the doctor prescribed medicine for me. And, and literally every day, I never remember to take my medicine. Amanda's like, have you taken your medicine? I'm like, oh, no. Go take medicine. Uh, and, and so, for instance, last night, she did not remind me to take my medicine. So did I take my medicine last night? No, Did I know I was going to use this as an illustration this morning? Yes. Did this morning, this is in my notes right here. I said this in my notes. The only reason I took my medicine this morning was while I was reviewing this illustration this morning. (laughs) Guess what I did not do this morning? I still didn't take my medicine. I still didn't do it. It's like, what in the world? How can you not just remember? I'm like, I used to make fun of my grandfather who had the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you're like, well, I totally are going to need that. Like, I will not remember to take my medicine. It is impossible. You know, we all need reminders. Some things are life-altering reminders, right? Like yesterday, Austin mentioned a, a funeral. Those are, those are like this massive life-altering reminder of the shortness of life. That life just comes and goes. That the last moment you had with someone might, you know, you never know. I mean, just like Harry and Gale, I mean, he was sick had COVID. They, they just like, they don't think, they think he's just gonna come home. They send him, not even like the whole family goes and says goodbye to him. He just goes to the hospital and they never get to see him in person again. I mean, these kind of life altering moments can be a good reminder. You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, you've got high blood pressure. <laughs> it's like, oh, probably shouldn't have had that cheeseburger yesterday. Or, you know, it's like we have these things in our lives that are, are really important and good reminders. We have apps and all these kind of things to remind us of some of these things. We all need these reminders. They're really for our good. In our passage this morning in in Titus chapter 3, Paul is going to remind his audience. He's reminding Titus very specifically, but the broader audience who's going to read this letter, and ultimately the broader audience is us today, to be reminded of some important things that we're to be doing as believers. And not just to be doing, they're just good reminders. And oftentimes we need to be reminder, a reminded. And so this, and I want us to read this passage, starting in chapter three, verse one. And you'll notice these reminders. First, he says, remind them. So he's talking to Titus here. Remind them uh, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, You see here, Paul gives he really outlines. It's pretty easy outline for us. He, we see these, these three specific reminders. And the first one, if you have notes, there is this. The first reminder that Paul says is, "Remind you. I want to remind you as followers of Jesus what your obligations are to outsiders." So he's saying, "I want to remind you as fo- as a follower of Jesus what your obligations are to outsiders." you notice here, look back at the verse, He's starting in just verse one there. He says, he gives us a list here. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. I mean, here he starts with this, like, hey, I want to remind you that you need to be submissive and obedient to rulers and authorities, Now, you might be going like, well, I mean, come on, Paul. I mean, does Paul really know what it's like to be under the current administration here in the United States? Does Paul really know what it's like to have XYZ governor or a mayor? Or does he understand all the elected officials in our culture? Does he really understand what it's like today? I mean, can I remind you really quickly who Paul and all these first century Jewish believers were under the reign of multiple um, Caesars? who were evil. I mean, Nero, I mean, the descriptions of Nero and the persecution of the church during uh, that, his reign is remarkable. I mean, they, there's descriptions by historians saying there wasn't enough wood in Jerusalem and in the area for enough crosses that they just lined the streets with crosses for Christians to be put on. And here we are in churches in America. I just want you to hear this for a second. In churches in America, we have people starting chants saying, let's go Brandon. In churches in America mocking our current president I mean we have in churches in America you hear you'll hear people calling our vice president of the United States of America names uh, we see a lack of regard for governing officials and not honoring them yet does that mean that we have to agree with what they stand for does it not are we not thankful for a government where we and actually uh, the freedoms to vote to say, okay, I have the freedom to at least have a say in this. Paul and them didn't have any say. And what does is, what is Scripture say? And I mean, we can strongly disagree with policy of elected officials, but Scripture is very, very, very I mean, this, very clear as to how we are to respond to authorities. Listen, I actually want to just read it all together. Look, look, turn your Bible to Romans chapter 13. 13, I think this is really important because our culture and Christians right now, it is so heated so divisive, there's so much hatred, there's so much rebellion. Listen to what Paul says in in, in Romans 13. I want us to read it together. Verse 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror or to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is then, he is God's servant for your good. And you're like, how does he say that? How does he let that come out of his mouth? How does he see the evil that the emperors were instituting in the persecution of the church? How does he see, like, how is he able to even think that? He says, for he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, and for the, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue, rev, revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed i mean he mentions it pretty pretty clearly now does this mean like when someone like okay well because they say abortion's okay then yeah sure i mean they, they've made it they've said it i'm going to be subject to what they say so i'm going to go and i'm going to have it, i'm going to have an abortion no of course not that's not what he's saying here See, you you still show respect and honor and you're submissive and obedient. But the goal, you'll notice the goal is this. The goal is to show good and kindness and gentleness. Not that you're kind by saying, well, I agree. And you're not even saying you agree with all that is said. The point is this. Here's the point. Here's what I, I really believe is the problem with a lot of Americans right now. Is they speak evil so that you, you, you sin. I mean, you, you break a command in Scripture, you know, not to slander, not to talk evil about someone. Or you'll, or you'll kind of mockingly, in a joking way, speak evil against someone because you think that they deserve it or that's the right because they're an evil person. So you try to repay evil with what? With evil. But what does Scripture tell you to do? Repay evil with good. Who are you to care for? Who are you to pray for? You pray for your enemies. God doesn't say spit in your enemy's face or make fun of them in front of them or talk evil against them. No, he says that actually the opposite. We're going to see towards the end of the message why. But here he's saying, be subject for the Lord's sake. I mean, think about this. In 1 Peter 2, I was able to preach with our students years ago through 1 Peter, one of my favorite books to, to preach through and to study. But in 1 Peter 2.13, Peter says, he, he, you know, here, here's the thing. Peter is writing, his audience, think about his audience in 1 Peter. His audience is these elect exiles. They're these Followers of Jesus, they've been chosen by God, they're following Jesus, they love God with all their heart, but because of persecution, they're exiled, they're spreading out all over the area, they're being pushed out because of persecution. And so Peter is saying, I'm writing to you to encourage you to keep pushing on, to to endure suffering, that hey, that suffering is temporary, you can move through this, you can experience this and and be okay, he's trying to encourage them. And in the midst of that encouragement of persecution and the authority that they were under, he said this in verse 13. He writes to them to encourage believers who are facing this immense persecution. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And you're like, man, but, but you don't know how bad or what they say or the things that they do. What, what I'm saying is, is you don't, I'm not saying it's wrong. I, mean, I say it's okay to 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 push back against evil policy and sinful uh, leadership. But what should you do most rather than slander them, rather than talk evil against them, what should you do? And what most of us probably aren't doing, pray. We pray for God to change their heart. But we also pray that God would, would, hey, what are you teaching me through this? Why is he, you have allowed him. I trust in your authority that you're the sovereign one, that no one has authority. We see that in scripture as well outside, that God hasn't allowed even Nebuchadnezzar, right? In the Old Testament, God was supreme over him. When Herod decided to give a speech, you when you're reading in Acts, and he gives this speech and he tries to take the glory from God, who's supreme? God. He says, you're dead. He dies immediately and his body. The way the scripture tells it, just the body starts to get covered in worms. Just like that. Who's supreme? God is. Who's not? Me. I'm not supreme. It's not my job to rule. What I, my, my job is to be is to be is to what you see here in this passage back at Titus chapter three. In Titus three, you see this. Remind them. Here's the reminder. And we need this reminder to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Notice this, what else he gives? He continues this list of different things. He says, do these, do these things. Why? Notice this, object to be ready for every good work. Your good should be on display. I don't know if you've ever experienced this when you know, you had something, you kind of held something against someone before. Have you ever had that before? I'm sure you have. In your heart, you know, you're just like, oh, I can't stand that person. What does it feel like when they start, when they treat you well? I mean, you're just like, are you kidding me? Like you, 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 like it, it it boils inside of you. It's, it's what Paul says. It's like heaping coals on their head by your good, by you showing kindness, even though they're showing resentment. And this is what we're getting after is a people of, of God, a movement of followers of Christ who are obedient to Christ and to his word. Yes, to sometimes being obedient to Christ and his word go against what government is saying. Yes. And who should you who should you look to in that? Who, how do you respond in those situations? I would say you respond by following what God has said. I mean, that's what remember. I mean, you go to the book of Acts again. I mean, the, the the leaders told them to stop preaching the gospel. What did Peter say? Who wrote in this passage? Be subject, or not in this passage, but a previous pa- the one that I read. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What did Peter do? Did he stop preaching the gospel because the, the, he was told to stop by a leader? Well, no, he didn't stop preaching the gospel. But here's the thing: we try to put that on a lot of other areas when it comes to leadership and democracy and like well they think this way of taxes they think you know Democrats think this Republicans think that and all these independent all these different things and so we put on things that are outside of the gospel in our response like yes if someone's telling you to to uh that you you have to live this certain way you have to do certain things that go against scripture no you do just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did they're like I'm not bowing down to this idol no, you, you do stand up. There are times to stand up. And there's been times even during the past few years where there's been instances of that, where there was a need for that. But here the greater pr- uh, principle is to be submissive. And what does that mean? That means to everything, right? That's not just big government. It's small things. What are some of the rules and things that have been placed in our government? The way, whether it's with taxes, whether it's with how you drive, stop signs, stop lights, all those things. When you start going like bigger, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> all right, I, mean, I haven't done any of those other things, but now you're, now you're creeping into my lane. Exactly, mine too. And he's saying, be subject to these things. But not only is the reminder there, and I don't want to spend too much more time there, is this. He says also, remind them to speak, verse, in verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy. What is he speaking on here as he's continuing to say how you show in your conduct towards outsiders? I mean, he's saying, continue on in these things. Don't be slanderous. Don't speak evil against anyone. Don't don't be quarrelsome. Don't be constantly... I mean, think about it. When you look at Facebook and those things, it's it's constant quarreling, it feels like. Twitter is is known for just, man, hammering people and pounding your... Pounding your beliefs on someone and all these things, right? It's so easy to be just very quarrelsome with the world. Now, you're not even talking about in, in the church. We're talking about outside of the church. But rather, notice what he says, with gentleness. Be gentle and considerate. So Paul gives us these imperatives. Do you know what an imperative is? You remember, let me take you back for a second. You're like, Eric, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say that. It's been a long time since I took grammar and, and English class. Um, well, quickly, and imperatives are commands, right? They're the commands in Scripture where God says, do this, don't do that. They're commanded. Indicatives are, are statements of fact. They're just statements. And so here we have these imperatives. Remind them, hey, be submissive to the governing authorities. Don't speak evil of no, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. I mean, you hear these commands, Well, Martin Luther said it this way. He said this imperative always. So these commands always flow out of indicatives in scripture. In the Bible, you see these commands or sorry, these imperatives always flow out of indicatives. And what what he means by that is this. You're commanded something by God. You're to do this, to do that. But it's always rooted in statements about God. You see, Paul, over and over again, when he's giving commands in Scripture, and he continues to say, hey, do this, don't do that. He's continuing to state things. You know what he always does? He roots it in the gospel. He roots it in statements, indicatives, about who God is. And he does it right here. Look at, look at verse uh, 3. And he tells us this way, and this is our next, our next reminder, is this. Is remind, here's the, here's the, before I read it, here's the, here's the next one, point number two. Remind, I want to remind you of who you once were apart from Christ. And listen, can I tell you you need this reminder? I need this reminder of who you once were apart from Christ. Look at verse 3. I mean, this is the description of me and you. All of us, every human has ever lived, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. Listen, can I tell you, we need this reminder of who we were apart from Christ. You were foolish. What does it mean to be foolish? It's ignorant and warped. Was it when he says disobedient, when he's talking about this disobedience of us? What does that mean? We disobey even when we know what is right. We know what's right. God has put that moral law on our heart and we sense when we're doing wrong. I, I don't need to teach my kids how to lie. Right? Like I don't need to teach them how to lie. They, they know how to do that. What do they need to be told? They need to be taught how to, to be honest and truthful how to tell the truth and not blame, pass blame. We, we don't know, like kids don't need to be taught how to pass blame and be like, oh, it was him. <laughs> like, man, I, I learned that one real early. <laughs> it's like, my brother did it, it wasn't me. I mean, I'm flawless in all things. My brother, terror. <laughs> when the blood's coming from my hand because I pounded a glass in our house after my brother threw a ball at me. I wanted to pass the blame on him, but I got angry and then took it out on a window. Like, what was it? Why would I do that? I have no idea because of these things. We're disobedient. We're led astray, but here's the thing. We don't blame culture and say, culture leads me astray. No, our hearts want what is being, what wants what it wants, and the heart gets easily led astray because we say, mm, I like what that likes. I like what the crowd's doing, and then the problem, the problem is the crowd. The problem is the friends you hung out with. No, you're a part of that crowd. You're the problem. You're the problem because your heart wants to be in that crowd, right? You see, we're easily led astray. You know, man, our hearts want these things. We're, I mean, Notice what he, the description as it just continues to trickle down about who we were, enslaved to sinful desires. You know, we have this emptiness because of our sinful hearts. It leads us to pursue all the wrong things. Our sinful desires to please and appease ourselves. And look, can I just tell you, this is a lie from the pit of hell that rejecting God's design will lead to freedom. That's what culture wants you to hear. They're trying to lead you astray in that. They're saying, listen, a better life is freedom from God's law, from God's commands. Like if you just live the life you want to live, you'll enjoy freedom. It's freeing to not be so tied to these laws. It is the absolute opposite. Your heart says, I want these things and it wants the satisfaction. It's being led astray. And what happens is those sinful desires enslave you. They get a hold of your heart. And as much as you want to get away from it, you feel the shackles, don't you? If you've ever been caught in sin, it is enslaving. It is shackles on your feet and your hands. And you can't feel like you can get out of it because the problem is you can't on your own. It is completely the opposite. And listen, it leads to this angry, anger towards others. I mean, we, can, we get envious and we look at other people and we're like, man, like I wanted praise and then they got praise and you get upset because they got praise and you didn't get praise. You, it's easy how our hearts just are constantly marred because they are marred by sin. Foolish, as it said in the opening. And so this is who we are. Deep down in the crevices of your heart, you need to be reminded of who you once were. I need to be reminded. It is easy, especially if you've grown up in the church and you've been around Christ and the Bible your whole life. It is easy to forget who you really are apart from Christ. It's easy to think. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not that bad of a person. It's easy to think like I mean, I mean, I mean, I haven't done too much wrong. Better than most people. Compare ourselves to others and say, oh, I mean, I'm I'm not that that bad. We desperately need to be reminded of who we once were um tim chester i've been enjoying reading his his commentary on on titus and uh i loved how he he dealt with this section and he 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 put it he said this way i mean think about how many many of you have used pros and cons when you've made a decision like you got a big decision to make you're putting pros and cons right you're like all right what's the cons i start with the negatives like all right (laughs) let's start with the negatives how many are there can't think of any, sweet, let's do it, (laughs) right, like, all right, moving forward, but, like, think about the, I mean, think about this, here's, just imagine, this is how he described, I I thought it was, it was really fascinating how he described this, imagine God is just in heaven, here's his creation, his creation has rebelled against him, and he's like, all right, what are the cons for me coming to earth, what are the cons, all right, start writing, all right, here we go, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. I mean, people who are angry and envious, hated by others, their enemies. I mean, these are all the cons. The con list is getting pretty long. Like, wait, why, why, should, I, why should I make this decision to go to earth again? Because when I start writing all those cons, they've all done evil. They're, they're all terrible people. They're rebellious. They don't even like me. They don't, they don't want me. They've rejected me. And he just start, that list just gets piled up, and there's just all these cons. God just starts making all these cons of why he shouldn't go. And then you come to the pros, and you're like, well, what are the pros? Then you start having writer's block. <laughs> you're like, what are the pros? What are the good in us that says, oh, okay, well, Jane was really good. I mean, she was a sweet lady. I probably should come for her. You know, this person or that person, I mean, there's, there's like, I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, they're not that bad. <laughs> there's no pros for us. Like, there's nothing like, okay, yeah, there's some good, that's what, I mean, there's that thing that we, now, I, now I'll come to save them. No, what is it? It is right here in verse 4. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. And here's the big emphasis. This is the emphasis in Scripture. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it's as if he took the pros list and said, all right, it's based off of what? Why should I do this? My goodness. My loving kindness. My grace. My steadfast love. You notice who's not on that list? You and me. Because he saves us not because of works done by us. There's no pros that we've done these things that God says. Okay, I'm going to come and save those people because they've at least been trying. No, there's nothing good in us. There's this, and we need this reminder. And this is the third one. Is this is we need this reminder that you remind you of what Jesus has done to save you. What Jesus has done to save you is it is all of grace. It's what we talked about last week. It is every bit, every ounce. Of salvation comes by grace I mean the pros are only all of God not of us you see here's this amazing amazing truth that we still need to let it seep into the depths of our hearts is that Jesus pr- paid the price that we needed to pay like we had to pay the price so how do you pay the price for sin Well, there's only two options right Scripture only tells us there's two options. How do you pay your price for your sin? You would say you can't. Well, actually, you can. You can pay the price for your sin. You know how you do it? You do it in eternity in hell. You pay the price for your sin for all of eternity, suffering, separated from God. That's the penalty, and that's the payment for your sin. Eternal. You can choose the option A or option one, pay the price for your sin that way, or Jesus pays the price for you. There's only two options. You know, he pays the price that we needed to pay. And here, here's what I want you to hear too. I've heard it this way. I don't even remember who I heard it from. I heard it years ago. Jesus didn't just die for you. I think we talk about that. Like Jesus died for me and and he did, but I think it's better to say it this way. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. Like, you deserve to die that eternal death and eternal punishment and pay the price for your sin. Instead, he died for you. He, instead of you, like you were the one to die. Instead, he died. You know, he steps down from heaven's throne and says, I will give of my life for payment of yours. And listen, this, I think, leads us to two takeaways. I just put a place for you to write these down. So they're a little bit long, but I want you to, I want you to, I think the two takeaways from this passage are really remarkable because there's, oh great, we've been reminded, sweet. Just like I was reminded this morning and I still forgot to take my medicine somehow. I mean, I had 20,000 reminders, I think. I mean, I had them all in my notes here. I'm like reviewing them this morning, sitting at my desk and then still didn't quite get up and go take the medicine. We need these reminders often. One takeaway is this. I think there's a couple of takeaways. This was for the person who's far from God. We see this command here in scripture to receive. We receive by faith what Christ has accomplished for you. It's a command to receive faith by what Christ has accomplished for you. The command, the call is say, listen, salvation can be yours. You don't have to pay the price for your sin by eternal damnation apart from God. Christ has already paid it. He's paid it in full. He says it is finished on the cross. He says, what I have done. He's not finished. He says, it is finished. I mean, notice even just that one little word there is important. He's not like, well, he's finished. He's died. It's over. He is finished. No, Jesus declared it is finished. The payment for sin of mankind is paid in full through his death. Now, how can we live a new life? How can we experience? We experience it because He defeated it through the resurrection. He comes back to life so that we can have new life in Him. This regeneration, notice what it says. I mean, this, it says it even in our passage here. This regeneration that happens by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, when He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Listen, this is only received. It is grace given and it is received by faith. And you're like, Eric, Why are you, this, is like, this is like launch team. Why do you keep talking about the gospel? You and I both need it. Because listen, I, I tell you, I never want to ever take it for granted and assume someone has saving faith because everyone in my life from five to 17 would have assumed I was a believer. Everyone, my parents, everybody. Youth pastor, wanna workers, School teachers, maybe some of them were like, mm, I'm not sure about that guy. But for the most part, uh, most of them would have looked on me and be like, he's a, he's a believer. I was, I was not. I was, de- I was depending on myself and what I had said in a prayer and all this magic and genie in a bottle kind of stuff. And I mean, I knew the gospel, but I wasn't really letting it seep into my heart. I wasn't putting my faith in what God had done for me. And so he didn't. I just want to say that again. He didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. He pays the price for your sins. And your response is is should be, God, come save me. You're like the sinner who's crying out to God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Like man, like David in Psalm fifty one, who's who's like, I, I mean forgive me according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy he's crying out cuz he knows the only way he's getting forgiveness isn't by offering some sacrifices he's re- he knows it is because of god being merciful and so he's putting his faith in his mercy and so listen are you putting your faith i want to ask you very bluntly are you putting your faith in christ's completed work on your behalf you stand before god at the end of your life what are you going to what are you going to point to you're going to point to, I mean, I was a part of a launch team. I was, you know, we tried to reach a community. We, we, we did okay at it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, I've, I've read my Bible a few times. I mean, I tried to lead my family well. I tried to be a good citizen. No, it's none of that. It is all of Christ. It is saying, I have nothing to offer. but I'm trusting that Christ has paid the price for my sin. My faith was in Him in Him alone. And so here, that's the first takeaway. The second one is this, and I assume this is probably for most of you, is this, is to, we need this, okay, we, and here's what I want to help you to do, is see the world, so see the world, you can write this down, see the world through the lens of who you once were and who you now are in Christ. See, help you, I mean, that's a pretty long statement, so I'm going to repeat a few times. See the world through the lens of who you once were and who you now are in Christ. You see, that's why I, mean, I almost preached this message a little bit backwards because I want us to go back to those first two verses and then look at verse 8. You see, the first two verses, he's like, hey, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. I want to remind you, these are obligations of you as a follower of Christ. You're to do these things for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. To be gentle. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. I mean, be kind, generous, gentle with all these people. Why? You see, we, and why tell us, man, for, hey, man, let me remind you of who you were. You were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Why is he telling us all this? Why do we need these reminders? Because the world outside needs to hear the gospel. And you need to be reminded that's who you were too. Because look what he says in verse 8. He says this, The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. See, your display of good works, you're showing submission to the governing authorities, you're speaking kind words, you're praying for your enemies, you loving people who are very unlovable, All of that is helpful in sharing the gospel. It is helpful in reaching the lost. I mentioned Tim Chester in this this commentary on this passage. He mentioned, uh, because he is in England, um, the professor and, and pastor there in the UK. And so a lot of his illustrations are about the UK. But he said this, he said, Roy Hattersley is the former deputy leader of the Labor Party in the UK and a public atheist. He says, as the following quote makes clear, as I'm going to read it, he says he writes about his experience of joining Christians from the Salvation Army. Army one evening, as they cared for those in need on the street. So this man Roy Hattersley is a, a, a staunch atheist, but one night he joined the Salvation Army, uh, and uh, for them caring in the needs of the community and the people. And here's what the quote from him was. Reminder: This is an atheist writing these things. He says this: the arguments against religion are well known and persuasive. So he's saying like, I mean, I feel like he's saying from his perspective, the arguments against Christianity and religion are well known and persuasive to him. He says, yet, notice this, yet men and women who believe are the people most likely to take the risks and make the sacrifices involved in helping others. Good works, John Wesley uh, the 18th century evangelist and founder of the Methodist church insisted. So good works, and, uh, John Wesley insisted, are no guarantee of a place in heaven, right? And we all say, I agree, good works don't guarantee you heaven. That's what he's quoting here. But they are most likely to be performed by people who believe that heaven exists. The correlation is so clear that it is impossible to doubt that faith and charity go hand in hand. It ought to be possible to live a Christian life without being a Christian, Yet men and women who, like me, cannot accept the mysteries and the miracles, do not go out with the salvation army at night. It says, The only possible conclusion is that faith comes with a packet of moral imperatives that while they do not condition the attitudes of all believers, sadly, I added the sadly, influence enough of them to make them morally superior to atheists like me, the truth may make us free, but it has not made us as ad- admirable as the average captain in the Salvation Army. And what he's saying is this, he's like, like, the arguments for me of, the, of, of Christianity, like you tell me that there's a God and here's one true God, a triune God, all those things, he's like, ah, eh, that, that doesn't register with me. But you know what was making a mark on him was seeing the charity, the the sacrifice, the good works, the joining the mission of the Salvation Army to reach needs and to help people in need with and carry with them the gospel. He saw those are the people who are likely to do that. I'd say in our culture today, it seems a little bit like that's waning. There's not much good works that the church is doing in the community. They're not known for being in the community. They're known for retreating from The community. And that's why we need this reminder. This is why we need to remind ourselves of who we once were, what Christ has done for us, that we so did not deserve it. And that should lead us to live on mission for the lost and having the right lens to look at those people through the lens of man, I was I was that too. I once was that. So looking at people as not yet Christians rather than just outsiders like viewing a person as someone who's not yet a follower of Christ, looking at them with hope and anticipation that they can put their faith in Christ Jesus because it's by grace and there's nothing in good in me that deserved it either. You see, the gospel changes us. It leads us to works, not to earn God's love, but out of the love of God and others, it moves us to be obedient, to do these things, to be zealous for good works as we've seen in chapter 2. All of these things are for the, because of what God has done in my life, the generosity and grace and mercy and kindness of our Savior has moved me and it's given me a better lens to look at the lost around me with compassion, with brokenheartedness that leads me to say, you know what? I'm not worried what they think. I'm going to share the hope of the gospel because, man, what if someone didn't share it with me? I'd still be stuck in, as a foolish person, hating the world, hating the things this world, quarreling, envious, living in greed, enslaved to sin and led astray, that's who I would be if someone didn't share the hope of the gospel to me. So you see how as the gospel changes us, it leads us to these things, and we do them because we need these reminders to see the world through the lens of who you once were and what God has done for you and who you are now in Christ. Man, that is the challenge, really, of this whole book in, a, in one way. It's why the church needed qualified leaders. It's why the church needs people to live out the gospel truths and to live out this high standard. It's because you're a light to the world. You are a, 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 a people who point others to the gospel. But listen, are we going to be people where Roy Hattersley, this, this, uh, this atheist, looks at and he's like, man, they're not even good works. Like he's not convinced by the arguments and now he's not convinced by the goodness of the people. So how are they going to hear they don't, aren't told. Man, I hope this motivates us. It motivates us, one, to trust in Christ and Him alone, and two, to live on mission uh, for Him. So let me pray as we conclude. Father, we love You. We just want to thank You for Your Word that penetrates right to the deepest holes of our heart. God, there are so many um, uh, lies that we believe uh, of the devil that um, He's convinced us of um, that we can live separate from this world and just separate ourselves from this world and protect ourselves from them. But yet here we leave the world lost and confused and um, in darkness. God, help us to be torchbearers into the darkness. May we run into the darkness with the hope of the gospel, with the light of the world indwelling us. Uh, Father, thank you for the grace of our Savior who would die for us. There's nothing, there's nothing good. In the, the, there's no prose to, to saving us. Apart from who you are, of your kindness, your mercy that you lavish on us, there's nothing good in us. There's no righteous works that we have done that led you to come to our rescue. We thank you that because of who you are, your character, you came to rescue us and to give us the better option. uh, There's no greater option for the payment of our sin that Christ has paid it in full. So we thank you that your work was completed on the cross. And that you defeated the grave through your resurrection. Help us to believe put our hope in these things. And may it lead us to look at people differently. Because we're reminded of who we once were and who we are in Christ. And so we ask your help to live this out today, tomorrow, this week. Till our very last breath, help us, God. We ask it in your son's name. Amen.